This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and Pete George from the Albion Analytics Twitter account. Well, we've finally stopped the rot, and we don't have to sit here and reflect on yet another defeat. That's the positive. However, the 0-0 draw with Blackburn meant we've now gone six hours without scoring a goal. Pete, is there any green shoots that you can see? Can you see this goal finally coming? I think I can, yeah. I think the performances have been gradually getting better in terms of um, creating chances since the the Preston, the Preston game. But obviously Preston and Millwall were anomalies. Things have got really bad and the players looked like they didn't want to play. And over those four games, we've accumulated um, a total of three expected goals. So we should really have at least one. So I think if we keep doing what we're doing, then it will come. And like I say, there's a positive trend. We've gone from 0.36 to 0.44 to 0.8. And then finally up to 1.46 expected goals in those last four games. So I think we're heading in the right direction. And if we keep creating chances, then one of them is going to drop in the back of the net. I mean, I know I know some people got really frustrated earlier in the season, and um, and people like like you and I who who do like to put some stock in the in the numbers got a lot of stick for um, you know championing XGFC from the Black Country. And I understand why. I understand why. But the fact of the matter is that where things got really really bad for us was when the XG numbers really started dropping uh, because I wasn't particularly worried when we weren't scoring goals at Barnsley, but we're missing sitters and we're, that we're having the, uh, I think an XG of about 27 against Derby at home and, uh, and, uh, and not scoring. I'm not concerned about that, but when, when the chances dry up and the players look like the confidence is completely drained out of them, that's where I'm really worried. And it does seem a little bit, I mean, even early doors against Blackburn earlier in the week, I felt that, I, I felt that to be honest, we weren't as, as forthright as we would have been earlier in the season. We weren't really, we weren't really at it. We, we weren't going at them as much, but I felt we grew into the game. And when you look at the really quality chances, they do come towards the end of the end of that football match. You've got the one where I think it's Clark gets a, fl- a flick header right in front of Kaminsky. And to be fair to the keeper, he makes a really, really good save because the ball does change direction and he gets a handout. And then you've obviously got, I think it was Adam Reach's shot, which is then cleared off the line right at the end as well. 
I feel like we've kind of grown back into being the Albion that that creates chances. And it, I don't think it really came until maybe that last 20 minutes against Blackburn. But I think it did come a little bit. Yeah, I tend to to agree with that. And if you don't want to look at it in an XG way, then, I mean, when the Sheffield United in the, the Blackburn Rovers game, the average shot distance in the Sheffield United game was 26 yards. And then that decreased to 16 yards against Blackburn. And I think it doesn't take a genius to say that you're much, much more likely to score if you shoot closer to the goal. And I think we had two shots within the six-yard box as well against against Blackburn. So that's all positive signs. And like you say, we started to create a few more chances towards the end of that game. And there's even that one, that cross into Carroll that he didn't get onto the end of. But if the cross had been maybe a foot higher, half a foot higher, then you could see him steaming in. And he was you could tell he was going to head that one into the back of the net if he'd beaten the defender to it. And as you say, there are definitely positives there. I think Andy Carroll's performances in both of the two games under Bruce have been huge positives. I think we can see a development in the way Bruce wants us to play. Bruce has talked quite openly after the game about he's still considering what our best formation is, whether these players are suited to a 4-3-3. We'll come to that in a little bit more depth in a minute. But I think the important point to, to, to just dwell on for a moment there is that this is a new manager coming in. We cannot expect him to wave a magic wand and suddenly take a side that was losing 2-0 to Millwall in an abject fashion and losing 2-0 to, to Preston and suddenly turn them into world beaters overnight. It's just not going to happen. But what he has done is he's taken a look at the players. We've evolved a little bit. As you say, Sheffield United seemed to be an instruction to shoot from anywhere. That was very much a change against Blackburn. And as I say, we grew into the game in the last 20 minutes. So there is positives there. I think the big conundrum for Bruce, and this will feed into our conversation about what our best formation is, is what to do with the forward players that we have. Because the one massive negative that I've got across the two games is how little really that Grant and Robinson seem to have contributed to the two matches. And I really do think we're getting to a point where you've got to ask the question whether they're either A, playing the right position or B, worthy of their place in the team or a little bit of both. Yeah, and I think we've seen a, a drop in form in them both. I mentioned it before that Grant seems to have these periods where he's good at everything and then he goes quiet for a bit and then again, he's good at everything. So I think his whole game kind of varies at the same time. So it's not maybe at one point he's good at scoring goals, but he's not good at setting up goals or the other way around. It's He's either good at scoring goals and creating or he's good at nothing, basically. So it might, might be that, but I think, yeah, we need to decide how we want to create generally. Because if we want to be a fast character inside, then Grant's really useful because he's he's quick and he makes those runs in behind and he's useful for that. But then maybe Andy Carroll's not so good. When the ball goes into him, he kind of just wants to play the way he faces or flick it on, which you kind of need to be precise when you're transitioning. When you're in a, in a counter attack, you need to be precise playing accurate passes through rather than just flicking it on to maybe no one. So I think we kind of need to decide whether we want to be direct and play off Andy Carroll or whether we want to sit back and then counter quickly or whether we just want to build up. And I think that's kind of a big, big decision to make. And affects... Do we lack identity at the moment, Pete? Yeah, exactly. I think you need to find out that identity and the way you want to attack. And then once you've found that out, then maybe you can start to put the pieces into the puzzle and decide what you're, you're attacking moments to be. Do we need to get players closer to Andy Carroll? I've seen a lot of talk about uh, about this and the way Carroll plays. And I mean, you've, you've only got to look at the numbers of the aerial duels he's won across the three matches that, uh, that he's played. I mean, he's, he's, he's basically surpassed most players in our squad 
for aerial duels won in the whole season in the course of three games. It's absolutely ridiculous how how many balls he wins, he brings down on his chest or he or, or he wins headers. It's crazy. It is crazy. The numbers are mad. But the problem seems to be, to me, that when he does those things, are we really having the support around him with him playing with what is supposedly two wide strikers, although I recognise the fact that Robinson was a lot narrower against Blackburn than he has been in in other games. But nonetheless, if you've got Grant and you've got Robinson and you've got Grady or you've got Matt Phillips, these are naturally wide players. And they are probably, especially if you're going to play a three where their position is wide forward, they're naturally going to drift away from the front man rather than being in a two alongside him. Is there an argument to say that if our focal point is Andy Carroll and I see no reason for it to not be Andy Carroll going forward, given that he has been our best player in every single game that he has performed in, then we need to play to Andy Carroll's strengths. And surely Andy Carroll's strength is get the ball into him, as you say, let him play the way he's facing, but get bodies around him so that people can feed off him, whether that's laying the ball back, whether that's him turning one round the corner, whether it's winning flick-ons for somebody to run in behind, whatever that might look like, all of that involves getting bodies closer to Andy Carroll. Yeah, and it's not only in like the build-up phase, it's also in the penalty box, because there's quite a few times when the ball would go into him, kind of maybe... 15, 16 yards out, and he would try and nod it down to someone or chest it down to someone for them to have a shot. But obviously, in the penalty area, it's going to be crowded, so you've got to be right up close to him and expecting that to, to be well to be able to get onto the ball and take your shot before the defender gets to it. But I think in the, when you're kind of building up and he's getting these balls into him from he's receiving it just inside their half, then you do need players around him. And I think half of it's probably down to the midfield because you do kind of want you at least one of your wide attackers to then be stretching the pitch vertically, if you like, and making those runs in behind the defensive line once Carroll's laid off to someone. So there's an option straight after he's laid off to maybe play it through or just keep possession there. I think maybe one of the forwards gets close to him, but the midfield's got to get close to him as well, because obviously that's that's the direction he's going to be playing a lot of the time. And that brings us on quite nicely to Adam Reach, who has got a lot of stick on Twitter from quite a number of Albion fans. I'm, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say unfairly. I've, I've said it on uh, on social media and I'm happy to say it again if people want to give me grief for it. Well, that's just a day ending in why, frankly. But I, I, I mean, I look at Adam Reach and I think I, I just think he's suffering from not being Matthias Pereira. I think that's that is the long and short of it for for me. I think we've we we have been spoilt in that kind of role. Whether it's some somebody like Pereira, we've had Kumas in the past, we've had Zoltan Gira filling in in that sort of sort of a role. We, we've seen Felipe Teixeira move into those sort of roles. James Morrison playing a ten, Doran's playing behind. We've seen some really really good players play in that particular role at this level, and he's. He's not that level. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he is of the level of the players that I've just mentioned. But what he is, is he's a temporary solution to a problem that we don't have a solution to within the squad. And I actually think he's making a half decent fist of it. I said on social, you know, most shots out of Albion players, this is most shots most dribbles completed. By the way, one of those shots was on target. His his shot was the one cleared off the line, late doors. So don't be telling me he put them all into the into the stands because he didn't. Also, defensively, he did an awful lot. He was equal most tackles won. He was equal most interceptions. He was actually excellent in the press. Now, I realise that doesn't necessarily always help us in terms of creativity, but I just think he is 
we used the phrase in the last pod, um, a square peg in a round hole where we have no round pegs. I think that's absolutely what he is. And I think he's doing a half decent job. And I honestly don't know who within the squad, if we continue with this shape where we have have to have one of those midfielders further forward than one of those central midfielders further forward than the others. I don't really know who we've got in the squad that could do that role any better than Adam Reach, possibly Matt Phillips, but frankly, the bloke's always injured. So what are you going to do? And I, I, I just think Albion fans, when they're getting on at Adam Reach for doing his best and working his backside off in that in that position of being a little bit unfair, because I think they're 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 remembering better times when we had better players, and I think they're almost thinking we've still got those kind of players in the squad, and we haven't. This is a highly unbalanced squad. It's a limited squad in certain areas. You, you know, you want to send a half, we're, we're your team. You know, we've got, we've got them in abundance. We've, we're not badly off for defensive midfielders either, by the way. We've got a few wing backs that we can throw at you. In fact, we've got a few wide forwards as well, as long as you only want to play them on the left. But what we haven't got is we've got one fit number nine and we really have no creative midfielders. And Adam Reach, bless his heart, is trying to fill that role for me. Sorry, that's my ode to Adam Reach, where I'm, I'm, I'm desperately sticking up for the bloke. Pete, I'll shut up. What do you think? I completely agree with what you said. And there's one point that you touched on that I think is really good, that um, he's very smart with his pressing. I think if you watch Andy Carroll, then for as many positives as he's shown in the past two games, he just doesn't seem to know how to press. You watch him and he presses at the wrong time. He's not got his team behind him to support it. He presses at the wrong angles. They just pass to a free player that he's not shut off in his pressing. And he just looks like he doesn't know how or when to do it or has got the intensity for it. But Adam Reach seems to seems to have that spot on. I think he, he won the ball back a few times high up the pitch and forced him to put it out of play for a throw-in, which is, yeah, that's really positive. And I'm not sure we're actually trying to play with an out-and-out number 10. I think we're kind of trying to play with two midfielders a bit more advanced than the one sitting midfielder, which is Mo, obviously. But I think Reach is kind of suffering from a lack of creative ability from Livermore and Malumbi, who don't offer too much attacking wise. So it's all kind of... Is he also suffering... Sorry, Pete, just to jump in there. Is he also suffering from a lack of dynamism and confidence from Grant and Robinson either either side of him? Because he only really seems to have Carroll as an option when 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 he picks the ball up. And with, with the best will in the world, you can do a lot of things with Andy Carroll, but you can't slip him in behind a defence. Yeah, that's probably part of it as well. And I think he's definitely putting the, the work in trying. And not only that, but I think you've got some stats on him being highest in, might have been inceptions of tackles and shots and everything so he's busy and he's he's definitely helping the team I mean the other stat as well was that he's second highest for our expected threat so he's trying to move well he is moving the ball into into dangerous areas maybe the one criticism you can give him is he he does like that final quality a bit but like you say he's not a number 10 and people are comparing him to Mateus Pereira who is probably one of the most technically gifted players that I've seen at the Albion so I think it's a, a very harsh comparison, and that's that's my problem. I I feel like I, I I saw a lot of lot of messages saying we've gone from Pereira to this. We haven't really. What what we did was, and again, uh, uh, sorry, I'm going to harp on about the decisions in the summer. What we did was we hired a manager who wanted two sitting midfielders and we bought players to play a particular system. To be honest, we didn't even do that that effectively because we didn't get him the number nine that, that he needed. And we ended up, as I say, with three forwards, all of, all of whom want to play on the left-hand side. So we, we didn't even build an effective squad for Val, particularly in the summer. 
But the the players we did bring in, we were looking to build a squad for Valerian Ishmael, who has no interest in having one of those midfielders being as dynamic as Matthias Pereira or Jason Kumas or Zoltan Gira or Felipe Teixeira or any of these wonderful, wonderful players that we have been treated to in this division before James Morrison. The list goes on. So we've now got Steve Bruce, who is trying to play it a little bit differently. And he's got to put, as I say, square pegs in round holes. And it's, it's this idea that we've gone from Pereira to this. We didn't, there was a stage in between where we decided, or the club decided and Valerian Ishmael decided, but the club decided to hire Valerian Ishmael is the, the most salient point in all of this, that we weren't going to play that type of football anymore, that we, that, that we didn't need that type of player. And we not only shipped out Matthias Pereira, but we, we sent Romain Sawyers to, to Stoke, who's, who's our other most technical midfielder, who frankly would be quite useful at this moment in time. Not only that, but we weren't going to play with a number 10 for the next four years. Until, until the board decided to sack him, obviously. But when you're planning for four years under a manager that knows his system and knows he wants to create chances from wide areas and from winning the ball back high, then you don't buy a number 10 because that's the, that's the plan of the club. When it changes twice a season, then, then you're in trouble and you kind of need players stocked in all kinds of styles and um, positions because if there's no set plan, then you don't know what manager is going to want what when you next come in. And that's think, expensive. And that's expensive, having a, st- a stacked squad like that. Very expensive, yeah. And I think we're going to touch on it again later about the number of strikers we've got and even now the number of centre-backs we've got. If we're going to continue playing four at the back, we've, we've probably got too many centre-backs for it, especially when O'Shea's back fit. There's going to be a couple that are unhappy that they're sitting on the bench and they're going to be earning a wage just sitting on the bench and training every week, which is obviously, again, expensive for the club. Do you think that's partly where, where Bruce was alluding to in his post-match comments when he said about 4-3-3 might not be the way forward for for this group of players? It's, his, his comments seem to suggest that for the mix, the blend we've got within the squad, that it wasn't the right formation. Do you think he's looked and gone, genuinely, my most stacked position and probably the position where I have the most effective championship footballers is at centre-half and maybe... I had to. I almost had to come in and play four at the back because it, it felt like the knives would have been out for him if, if from minute one. If if against Sheffield United he had lined up with three centre halves, I genuinely would not be shocked to see three centre backs against Luton on Saturday. What do you think? I'd like to see three centre backs against Luton. I think with the players that we've got, in as would squad, I, as would I. We're most suited to probably a three-four-three, three. and it kind of helps us tactically as well. I think because there's quite a few occasions against Blackburn when we'd leave the wingers high. So Grant and Robinson would be staying towards the halfway line, maybe a little bit deeper than that, but basically they weren't tracking the, the it was either the wing back or the wide centre back that was overlapping and causing an overload. And they tend to hit crosses towards that back post where they've got two men against our one fullback. So with a three at the back, then it kind of give Grant, well, especially Grant, a bit more, a bit more leeway to stay forward when we're defending and kind of, because we've got a bit more cover at the back. And then there's obviously the, the benefits of having a lot of centre-backs and we can get more into the team. Not many centre-mids, so if we only play with two centre-mids, then that will help. And it will also probably allow us to create down the wings again, which we kind of need to do when we don't have a, a natural number 10, like you say. Would you like to see Grant played centrally alongside Carroll? I know, I know there's a lot of people calling for that. I have to say, 
I'm on the fence on this particular one because Grant doesn't seem to see it as his position. He's he, It's not a position he's necessarily played that well uh, at times when he's been put centrally, but equally... I can't help feeling that somebody with Carl and Grant's finishing ability getting close to Andy Carroll would get chances and uh, and get goals. What do you think? He's only really played centrally for us in the Premier League, which is obviously a, a big difference to playing in the Championship. And I mean, in the Premier League, we're struggling in the majority of games, especially in that first half of the season when I think he played as a striker more under Bilic. Yeah, we were struggling to create anything really. So I think he would score a few goals. And it's kind of like that classic big man and quick man strike partnership where you've got Carroll that's going to come short and receive the passes into him, bully the defenders, get a flick on, win headers, that kind of thing. And then you've got Grant to, to run in behind and stretch that stretch that back line and hopefully get onto some through balls and some get some chances and then obviously finish them. So, I mean, I'm kind of on the fence because then I don't see where, assuming you meant as a kind of 5-3-2. Yeah, yeah, that, that was exactly that what I meant. formation. Yeah, then I'd, you struggled to see where maybe Robinson and Grady and Matt Phillips when he's back. You struggled to see where those sort of players is, is that a problem at the moment though, given the way they're playing? Maybe not so much Robinson, but then I think he's one of our best attackers in terms of his underlying numbers, which kind of caught me off guard when I saw that. He's got quite high expected assists and expected goals. And to be fair, he's got not only that, but I think he might be our second second highest scorer and I think he's highest with his. That, that's not that's not hard though. Me and you aren't that far off that, Pete. No, it's not. But he's still he's still up there compared to everyone else. I think he'll come good again before the end of the season. And Grady seems to be improving week on week. Confidence seems to be coming back, and he's just trying to get on the ball as much as he can, which is where we need him. Were you shocked he was left out against Blackburn? Yeah, I was a bit because I think he started quite well against Sheffield United, but then obviously struggled after Jake got sent off. So I was kind of shocked about that. But then I thought maybe having Robinson out wide might give us more chance to create crosses to get into to Andy Carroll. But I don't. I think Robinson kind of just drifted as almost... He kind of drifted along that front line as almost like a number 10. Um, I don't think he was particularly stuck to playing out wide. I thought, I thought it was one of the poorest games I've seen Callum Robinson have for us. I mean, ju- just, just going back to Grady, as you say, his performances have improved. Don't get me wrong, he hasn't been exceptionally missed a horrendous sitter at Sheffield United but I I just wonder how we expect to ever get the real Grady back when every time there needs to be a fall guy out of that front three i.e. something gets changed it's always Grady that's sacrificed and I just think I I just think it's got to be killing the lad mentally it's just got to, there doesn't seem to be any real faith in him and I could understand that if other players were playing better but as you say, Carlin Grant's going through one of these runs that he seems to go through where after everything going right for him, nothing goes right for him. Robbo, OK, the underlying numbers might be there, but in reality and output, there's not a lot. He, he's just not he's not producing. I was shocked he saw out the 90 minutes against Blackburn. I I, I was saying to, saying to my dad, who sat next to me, that I... I'd just chuck Tullock on at this point. I really would, uh, because I didn't think Robinson was producing anything. It's just, I feel for Grady because he doesn't seem to be playing any worse than anybody else in that front three, Carroll aside, who has been very, very good. And yet he seems to always be the one that has to take the fall. Thinking back, I can't really remember much that Callum Robinson did, which is, I mean, that's not a good sign for a forward. You you want to be remembering 
positives and I just I'm really struggling to remember him out on the pitch to be honest and that's even worse when you say he's played 90 minutes yeah well on on that just 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 to sort of give that a bit of perspective I use who scored for a lot of my stats which uh, people who listen regularly will know who scored basically take the contributions that players make to the game and add them up to give them a rating out of 10 our lowest rated players by who scored out of those that that, that played any, a significant part in the game. Taylor Gardner Hickman was our lowest rated player, but he barely played was Grant and Robinson. And Robinson got 6.34 out of, uh, out of 10, which is extremely low from who scored playing 90 minutes. It's really, really, really poor. Yeah. I'm not a great advocate for using those ratings, but it definitely shows something for that, especially considering he played 90 minutes. It's not like he got pulled at 60 minutes and, and missed out on that half hour. But like I say, I can't remember much from him. I think in terms of Grady, it was, I think the question for me at the minute is, why does he keep playing on the right? Ishmael Son is playing on the right, which is probably to, to get Grant into that position, into his natural left position, because he's probably our most threatening attacker. But even when Grant went off against Blackburn, Bruce still decided to shift Robinson out onto the left and I was Grady to really the right. shocked at that and everybody around me in the Birmingham Road end was really shocked at that yeah well I mean I was as well so just I feel like it begs the question that what are the managers seeing in training that are, that are making them put him on the right every time even when you're pulling off the man that's maybe keeping him out of that left-sided position yeah, I, I don't see it I just don't see it I, and I don't see what the other players are doing to keep him out of the side but I mean, unfortunately, we could we could go round and round in circles on Grady, and we'll we, we'll pretty much leave it there. But I do think that, from a mentality point of view, I just worry that we're killing the kid. And uh, uh, you know, we all know from the last promotion season what an unbelievable footballer there is in there. And until we actually get show a bit of faith in him, I just don't see that we are ever going to see that footballer again. I think he needs a run of games and I don't see that anybody's playing any better than him. And if the shape suits him, I would 100% have him out there. Just before we move on from the forwards, just one overarching question on this, Pete. Did we leave ourselves a striker short, a forward short in the January transfer window? When we signed Daryl DK, I thought we were just adding a forward to our to our squad. In hindsight, it seems to be that Daryl DK was a replacement for Jordan Hugo, who they must have known was was leaving. Then Andy Carroll was a replacement for um, Daryl DK, who obviously got injured for 10, 11 weeks, whatever it was. When when it was all happening, I thought that DK was signed to add to the squad, so we've got another striker. And then Andy Carroll would be then replacing Hugo, who went out. But that means we're basically a striker short. And I think, again, it kind of comes down to the, the vision. I think if we had got Carroll and a fit Matt Phillips and Robinson, then there are our options to play. Is that central role in a 4-3 uh, 3-4-3 when you've got other you got two other attackers alongside them I think it's less important than in a 4-3-3 because obviously those in a 4-3-3 your other attackers are wider so yeah I mean it's kind of given Steve Bruce limited options in what he can do because at the minute Andy Carroll's only our nat- only natural central strike until Del DK gets back fit just before we finish on the forwards, and this will be the last word on the forwards, because a few of us have, have discussed this, and unfortunately, it's a it's a little way off. But are you excited by the prospect of DK and Carroll up front together? I mean, I I, I surely centre halves will be tossing and turning in their beds thinking about that prospect. Surely that's the that that would be the last thing you'd want to be faced with. Yeah, it's terrifying as a centre back, isn't it? Two very big lads who are going to win a lot in the air, and DK, a quick lad who's 
he's going to make those runs in behind. They're both very physical. I mean, it's not a pay you want to come up as a centre-back. But unfortunately, I can't see DK being getting many games in between now and the end of the season. Because obviously, once he's back fit, he's probably going to need to do that little mini pre-season that they talked about in January again. And I can't imagine they're going to take any chances on him this time. Would you therefore keep Carroll beyond this season? Potentially. Obviously, it depends how he performs from now to the end of the season. He started very well, but it doesn't mean he's going to be like that in every single game. And then it kind of depends on what Steve Bruce wants to wants to do for next season. Um, assuming he's still here, he's got a transfer window, a summer transfer window, where it's obviously easier to, to move the squad around a bit and bring in some new players. He's got that, that whole summer to decide what he wants to do for the next season. And if he wants to play with some, uh, like a number 10, then he can bring them in. If he wants to play less direct, then maybe he'll say, I don't want Andy Carroll and I want this striker instead. But at the minute, I'll definitely be thinking about keeping on for next season because he gives us an option that not a lot of strikers do. And just moving to the other end of the pitch and pretty much the the last word for for this week's pod, but we just want to discuss the centre-half situation because we spoke about earlier that we would both like to see us go back to three centre-halves. We think it's the best thing suited to, to the squad. A further point on that, does it also get the best out of the personnel that we've got? We were looking at Matt Clark's numbers in a four, in two centre-halves of back four. And the drop-off in his pass completion when he goes into a four, pretty startling. It, it, you know, it goes down to 67%. I think he played 10 long balls during the game, of which only four were, were actually accurate, were, were, were anything close to meeting their, their intended target. Yet, in a, you were saying to me earlier, in a three, his numbers perform a lot better. Now, one thing that stays consistent about Matt Clark is that his defensive statistics, he's our best defender. Whether you're in a four, whether, you're in, whether it's three centre-halves, Matt Clark's defensive statistics are pretty outstanding. But his distribution stats go off a bit of a cliff when he, when he goes into two centre-halves, don't they? The style of play that you've got to consider there as well, because... Since we've gone into the four under Bruce, I think in both games, Sam Johnson's been one of our players with the most progressive passes. So basically we're building up from Sam Johnston going long into Andy Carroll, which is a bit of a different style to what we're doing under Ishmael. We'd be using the, the wing backs. So I looked at Matt Clark's clusters of passes. So it's basically the passes that are most similar to each other and they're all put together. His most common clusters are kind of passes, pretty short um, from a kind of wide centre-back position out to the touchline, where kind of Townsend will be most of the time. So it's kind of in that back three. It was generally passing it pretty simply, safely, just a short pass into his wing back, which is going to make his numbers look, his pass completion and everything, it's going to look better doing those simple passes when he knows he's just going into the wing back. Then if we're looking to go long from our defensive third, then obviously it's going to be harder to, to complete those long passes. And also, if you're going to go long from our defensive third, it comes back to, do, do we need to get somebody closer to Andy Carroll? Because if, if the ball's going long into Andy Carroll and we're asking him to either bring it down or win it, assuming, of course, the ball is a good enough one for him to do either of those two things, if nobody's there supporting him, it's not really going to matter, is it? No, and I think something that's important to, to take notice of is that it's only the second game of Steve Bruce and only the... I think it's about the fourth game Andy Carroll's played. So players are still third game. Players are still getting used to playing into Bruce's system. Bruce's system. So that's going to take a little bit of time. And they're getting used to playing with Andy Carroll. He's 
different to anyone else we've had this season. I suppose there's similarities to Hugo, but it's not the same. So players have got to get used to playing with Andy Carroll and they've got to get used to playing in, in Bruce's system. So I think if we persist with that, then it will come and we'll look a bit more natural doing it and obviously look better doing it. To be honest, I think that's uh, that's a fairly decent place to leave it because... I think what we're saying is that we, we we are seeing some green shoots. We are seeing some positive signs. Probably the reality check for all of us is this is Steve Bruce's second game. He's not had a lot of time to work with the, with the players. He's gone between a midweek game into a Monday game, so he can't have had a lot of training time. But I think what we're seeing is a development of a style. And I think also what we're probably seeing from him in the press conferences is quite positive in the sense that he is actually open to finding ways that work for these players. I think one of the main criticisms of Valerian Ishmael was that he was very unflexible. Well, I think if Bruce is a man of his word from what he's saying in the press conference, then hopefully that can't be levied at him. So fingers crossed, we see the next step in the Steve Bruce development of West Bromwich Albion against Luton at the weekend. We will be back to give you our thoughts after that game. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we never know. We might have a goal to talk about. We might have a win to talk about. You never know. Stranger things have indeed happened. But until then, if you want to get in contact with us, you're very welcome to do so. Tweet us, follow us at AnalyticsWBA at CJHall83, or if you want to follow the podcast account, it's at Albion Analysis, and let us know anything you want us to cover, any thoughts on what that you've got on what we've said. And if you've enjoyed this pod, then please do spread the word. But until next time, thanks for listening, and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.